Our sermon for today is going to focus on the gospel lessons on page 9 in your bulletin. Allow me just to read a, a few of the verses that are found there. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to his, his Father in heaven. Um, and then he also we also see the rest of Jesus. So this is in verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. This is the word of our Lord. There's a woman who I met uh, several years ago when I was uh, doing some evangelism, helping out a church in Wisconsin as I was going to the seminary. Uh, we were knocking on doors at the time, and I got to meet her. And she showed some interest in the church, so I continued to, to call her, uh, visit her once in a while. And, and as I got to know her, our conversations evolved. They went from talking about our church and the programs that we offer to the beliefs of the church to her own beliefs, and finally to her own personal suffering and difficulties in life. And that's when she told me that a year earlier, her husband had died. And what she said was was that she blames God for the suffering in her life because of that. She said it was was God's fault for all this happening. She even went on to, to say that, you know, she was a good person, that she prayed often, she would go to church very often, she would give generous offerings, and she was kind to other people. And the words that I'll never forget, she said to me, was, God owes me. God owes me. Maybe you have thought, said those words before, maybe you know someone who has. But when someone you know or is going through some personal suffering, that's a time when you might say to them, you know, you should pray about that, uh, or, or I'll pray for you. And, and sometimes the response might be backspoken or unspoken. Yeah, I've tried that before. It didn't work. People at times can easily, even we can blame God for the sufferings in our life. And it, and it comes out to say, spoken or unspoken, God I deserve better than this. God, you owe me. So today we're going to be looking at, my my purpose of this sermon is to cause you to look at your own personal suffering from a very different perspective. And the way we're going to do that is by starting to look at at Jesus and a very specific aspect of Jesus. You see, throughout this sermon series, we've been talking about various aspects of our Savior. We looked at him as the, the Christ the anointed one, the savior of the world. But today we're going to be looking at an aspect that's called the man of sorrows. And this is a phrase that comes out of the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And it was a a section of scripture that any Jewish person who was reading through his Bible, who was looking forward to the Messiah, would have been confused. These are the words that, that are found here. It says, he was despised, that is the Messiah, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. I I thought he was supposed to be a king. I thought he was supposed to be our savior. How is he supposed to be a man of sorrows? How is he supposed to take on all the suffering 
In what way? What does this mean? Jesus' suffering started when he, right away, right after his birth, when, right after the wise men went to go visit him. You remember what happened? The angel told him to go back home by a different route. Herod wanted to know where this future king was going to be so that he could kill him. And since the wise men didn't go back to Herod, Herod just started killing all the children in the region. And so Mary and Joseph fled with baby Jesus. So the question that we have is, you know, even though Jesus was a child, he was still the all-powerful God. Why didn't he just kill Herod or any soldiers that got near him? Why didn't he put a little special force field around their house so that they would be protected? In that instance, we have the very first time where we can see our Savior and our God putting aside his divine power and authority so that he can suffer. So that he can suffer with us and for us. See, our Savior, when he would go and eat with others, he wasn't just acting like a human being, he actually was hungry. As a toddler, if someone would have pushed him down, he would have skinned up his knee. He actually would have bled. He would have actually felt real pain. And what we're reminded of when we think of those things is our Savior, our God, would put aside his power and authority. Even though he lived in a, in a even though he was a perfect and sinless person, he lived in an imperfect and sinful world, but allowed himself to suffer. Now that suffering, if I can call it the typical worldly suffering that all of us understand and know, physical pain, emotional pain, that was nothing in comparison to the spiritual pain and anguish that Jesus was going to go through later on on the cross. And what we see in our lesson for today is a a phrase that, that many of you have heard numerous times, but when you think about it, we have to admit that we simply cannot understand what Jesus meant, what he was going through. It's this. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow. He was literally hours away from the time when he was going to be on the cross and suffering. And in all honesty, there have been other people in the history of the world who had suffered, who had suffered physically, been tortured physically, worse than what Jesus was going to go through through his crucifixion. There have been. But what Jesus was going to go through, the worst part of it all, was when he, the spiritual suffering that we simply cannot comprehend. See, we understand physical pain. We understand emotional pain. But none of us had ever, has ever had to suffer from pain that came directly from God himself in order to make payment for sin. We do not have experience with that because of our God, because of our Savior. And what Jesus was going to endure was not just the the pain that all of us deserve, that spiritual pain that just one or two of us deserve, but that the entire world and every person who has ever lived or ever would live, every sin that was ever committed or would be committed, That's the pain that he would have to go through. And I do not have an illustration or a story to help you understand and grasp what that pain was like. Because we just don't know. It was far beyond what we have ever experienced. And maybe it's better that way that we don't know. 
But just because we can't comprehend that, that incomprehensible spiritual pain, it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't get it and understand it. And that anticipation of the worst possible anguish was what Jesus was going through in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm the same way when it comes to my, with my girls, is when we go to the doctor's office and, and we have to get a shot, and when I see that needle, I do the same thing. I look away, and I'm sure I make a goofy face as I wait for that thing to plunge into my flesh, right? And it seems like that anticipation of pain is, is just as bad, if not worse sometimes, than the actual pain itself. And that's what our Savior was going through in the Garden of Gethsemane. No wonder he wanted to pray. No wonder he wanted his disciples to pray. The spiritual battle lines were being formed. In the book of Luke, it says that Jesus prayed so intensely that his sweat was coming off him like drops of blood. And it also says that an angel came at that time to strengthen him. Now imagine that. An angel, a lesser being, came to strengthen the all-powerful God. How did that happen? Why did Jesus put aside so, so much so his power and his authority that he would need to be strengthened by an angel, that he would have to pray, that he would suffer so greatly? Why? Because of you. Because of his love for you. Not because you did anything to earn his love. Rather, when we look at our own lives from an unbiased perspective, we, we realize that the only thing we actually deserve is, is hell itself. It's simply incredible what we as human beings can do to not be able to see our own fault and blame ourselves rather than we, we are very good at blaming other people for the own for the sufferings and problems that we have in our own lives. Um, I, the best example I see of this is something that I see sometimes on a daily basis at home when my children are fighting. And maybe some of you who have children who have seen this before, you know it always goes the same way. I know it does in my household. Two kids are fighting, I have to go in and break them up, and then I start this, and I say, what happened? And then she says, she kicked me and hit me and scratched me and made fun of me. It's all her fault. Okay, and then I look at the other one. I say, what happened? And she says, she kicked me and hit me and scratched me and made fun of me. It's all her fault. And I think to myself, how is that even possible? How is it possible that it can be 100% the fault of the other, and yet the other person thinks it's 100% the fault of the other person? They don't even come to a compromise where it's like, maybe it's 90% my fault, 10% the other one's fault, 60-40 maybe. No, they cannot see. They are so blind. They can't see their own fault in this fight that just happened. And I wish we would grow out of that. I wish we could say we would grow out of that, but we don't. We are experts at blaming other people for our own sufferings, blaming our spouse, blaming our friends, blaming our children, blaming our parents, without being able, without being able to see our own fault in the sufferings that we have to go through at times. But what happens when... We are suffering, and there is no one to point the finger at. When that happens, it seems that the finger pointing starts to go upward, and we start pointing at our God. 
I mean, who can you blame when you, when you are laid off from your job and, it's, and you are a hard worker? But layoffs had to be made. What happens when you, you get, come down with a disease a, 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 or you lose a loved one? You can't point the finger at anyone, but sometimes we point it at him. There are times when we may be able to see our own fault and things for our own selfish, prideful, bad choices that we make, and that leads to sad consequences and our own suffering. There are times when we will blame other people for the problems that we have in our life. There are times when we might even go in as far as to blame Satan for the temptations in our life. We can even blame uh, Adam and Eve for bringing sin into this world. We might even at times want to blame our parents for passing down sin to us, that inherited sin. But we cannot blame God for our suffering, and let me tell you why I say that. Because out of all the people that we may be able to blame for the sufferings in our life, there's only one person who has worked to remove suffering from us and did. And that's our God. See, our God is the one who sent Jesus into this world. And like a secret service agent who jumped in front of the president when a bullet was coming towards him, saved us. And he took on that incomprehensible spiritual suffering that we can't even understand, that payment for sin. That's what our Savior did for us. And as I was trying to think of an illustration of what it's like then to blame God for the suffering that we go through, the best I could come up with was, was it's kind of like if somebody would jump in front of a bullet for us, sacrifice his life for us, and we in turn would sue that person because they knocked us over. That doesn't even make sense, does it? See, what our Savior did, what we see from this lesson, is that our Savior went towards the suffering for you and me. He did not run away from it. He went towards it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus knew that Judas and that mob of soldiers was coming towards him, do you remember what he said? He said, rise, let us go. Not let's run away, let's go away. Rise, let us go towards them. And then when Judas came and kissed Jesus on the cheek to signal to everybody else, this is the guy who I need to arrest, Jesus didn't start ranting and raving at Judas for why he betrayed him. And when Peter starts pulling out his sword, swinging it recklessly, it's Jesus who stepped in and said, what are you doing? Don't you know that I have legions of angels if I want to use them at my disposal? So the question comes back again. Why didn't Jesus use his legions of angels to protect him? Why didn't Jesus run when he knew that that mob was coming? And again, the answer is because of you. Because of his love for you. Jesus was not always a man of sorrows. But that's what he became for us. He chose to suffer in our place, that incomprehensible spiritual suffering that comes from God for payment for sin, a type of suffering we can't even grasp or understand. But that prophecy in the Old Testament in Isaiah continues to say this, and listen closely to the pronouns that are used here. It says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He became a man of sorrows and jumped in front of the worst type of suffering that there is for us, to save us. I know that many of you have your own personal sufferings and struggles in life. Um, Struggles with finances, struggles with relationships, struggles at work, physical struggles, emotional struggles, whatever they may be. And I don't mean to belittle those sufferings at all. But when we take a step back and look at the whole season of Lent and and at our, our Savior's suffering, It's then that we get to look at our suffering in a very different way, knowing that our Savior took away the worst of it. I think it causes us to look at our suffering now from a very different perspective, don't you think? It causes us to say that, God, you don't owe me anything. Rather, I owe you everything. John put it this way. He said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. There are a number of heartwarming illustrations that I was thinking about using at the end of the sermon. You know, a story about a a man in war who jumps in front of a bullet to save his friend or a, a father who sacrifices life for a child. But none of those illustrations can do justice to the story that we have in front of us. And there's a number of reasons for that. Because this story is not just a story, it's real. And this person, Jesus, our Savior, he's not our, he wasn't originally our friend. He was our enemy by nature. But he came to save us anyways, even though we didn't deserve it. And he didn't just save us from physical death. He saved us from spiritual death, an eternity in hell. And what also makes this story so incredible is that our Savior, when he sacrificed his life for us, he didn't remain dead. He rose. So that we can know now that our Savior who is still alive, knowing that he was willing to remove the greatest suffering in our life, is now with us to help us with the current sufferings, the lesser sufferings that we struggle with. We owe God everything. He removed that incomprehensible spiritual suffering from us, the payment for sin. He helps us now with our current suffering. And he's the one who promises to us a time when we will suffer no more in heaven. Amen. Now continue.